Hey, Congressman, welcome to the breakdown. Hi, hello. I'm uh, I'm just calling in to uh, uh, help who uh, um, uh, we referred to as Uncle Paps to just uh, um, have a little peace of mind. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of concern, a lot of hay being made out of the voting record, <clears throat> and uh, there's uh, some of those out there who want to continue to hammer that that's uh, somehow an indicator of our inability to deliver. <clears throat> If this campaign is about trustworthiness and integrity, then stop allowing these misinformations to become so prevalent that people don't know what to believe anymore. Okay, uh, Congressman. Really I wanted to share. Okay, Congressman, if I could ask you a couple of questions, since I have you on the line, this is the first time we've ever had the time, uh, the chance to talk. Can I? Can I just ask you about? Hello. Did he just hang up on me? with Cosendo, and hopefully nothing I say here today gets me in too much trouble. But I'm used to getting in trouble for the things that I say, so it's not a big deal. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Welcome to Mint Talks. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. You know, I always open the show with, uh, what are you drinking? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking a Buffalo Trace. It's a nice Kentucky straight bourbon. It is nice, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's smooth. It's spicy. I prefer bourbon. Do you? Yeah. Over like vodka? Over, yeah, over just about anything. anything. I like whiskey, but I prefer bourbon. Mm. Yeah, that I, Kentucky bourbon. I think that's Kentucky the, whiskey. That's the gentleman in you. I'm a whiskey dude. Mm. I'm like rough around the edges. I just like it kind of spicy. Boonie dog. Yeah. Whiskey spice. Yeah. Well, that's why I like Jack. Yeah. It's a cheap, spicy whiskey. Well, that's a Tennessee whiskey, right? It is, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I think it's considered a, like a unique product because mm. they don't make, uh, you know, it's sour mash. They don't make a whole lot of variations through it and um the jack daniels distillery which i will one day go to which is weird because you can't drink there it's a it's a what? dry county because it's in america and they have laws like that because where yeah. you travel anywhere else you go to a brewery you can sample they always have the sampling yeah. tour at the end no they take you off the county county mm -hmm. line the county line is like 100 yards from the uh, distillery and then they give you that's where you can have it interesting yeah that's why jack daniels himself would always be getting in trouble with the law because he's drinking in the county ah. yeah you know good old jack had a partner that was never known the partner was actually um a slave who ended up being a secret partner of his uh so during the reformation yeah okay so Post-Emancipation post Proclamation, I think. I'm well, just he, he just couldn't make him a legal partner because mm. the, the laws didn't allow it. Yeah. So he was a secret partner. And 
actually the it, today the the recipe for Jack Daniel's number seven is credited to the to the uh, s- the unknown slave partner. Fantastic! Isn't that weird? I wish we would we yeah. knew his name. I knew. I know. Yeah. Well, they're they're speculating. They don't have any record of it, but they they do know he gave plenty of money to this one particular slave mm. that he owned. Wait a minute. Is this post? So like, I'm getting my timelines mixed up. Yeah. So 1826. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Jack Daniels was born 1826, not the man, the the product. The product. Okay. Yeah. So hmm. it's it's uh, quite there. And now, uh, now I want to look into it and just like really drill it, down. Who, yeah. Who is this mystery? That's what usually happens on my show. Like somebody will say something to me. Yeah. And then. I'm like, I don't know anything about this. I must Google all of it. Well, they're, they're, like I said, there is speculation of who the man is, but they're not quite sure. Okay. There's, there's no documentation, but they do know there's this guy, and and I forget his name. Let me let me just do a real quick Ooh, Google alert. Yeah. I call it the nerd alert. <laughs> Whenever there's something that you just gotta look up, yeah. and it's just like I gotta know this. Right. Nerd alert. Okay. So, um. Jack Daniels was not created by Jack, but his slave. There, see, there's an actual article on it. Do, 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 do. Cite your sources, cause what are you reading from? Uh, this is um, history of yesterday. <laughs> Very credible. <laughs> yeah, 150 year old lie behind the world's most famous whiskey brand. Jack Daniels was not created by Jack, but his slave. Thank you very much. So. He, there's an actual photo of Jack in a white hat. And the man to his right, see, this is why I was saying they don't know for c- mm. certain, could be Narius Green, a slave who helped teach Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. <laughs> or one of Green's sons. So they're not quite sure which one. Okay. Cool. Very cool. See, I'm a man uh, before my time. I'm. Huh. I'm such a renaissance gentleman that I've been drinking Jack Daniels all this time. <laughs> well, some people, you might get canceled for drinking Jack Daniels cause. Well, you know, I was a partner. Come on. You know, it's funny. On the, on the show, it's like, I, okay, so I have anxiety, right? Right. And there's a lot of times I come off the show and I'll think about things that I said on the show. Right. And they'll stay with me into the evening, right? Right. And... Things like that, okay? So, like, if I if I offered something, like a little bit of knowledge or, like, a guess or something, right. <clears throat> and I'm not sure of it, right? And I'm like, man, did I just make myself sound like a fool? I'm sure somebody <laughs> listening was like, this idiot. That's you know fucking I mean? wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this idiot. Like, I, I said Jim Croce died uh, alone in Penniless in a shack by the lake or something like that. I got to mix up with another artist. And then I got a, a few buzzes on my phone. Jim Croce died in a plane crash. Well, see, that's when you blame your producer. <laughs> I will blame that man for nothing. Yeah, because that's the whole point of a producer. The producer is supposed to go, uh, Logan, uh, the correct answer is so-and-so. No, he usually does. He usually, he'll look up something uh, as I'm talking about it, and then he'll add the clarification, which is awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, see, I don't have a producer. <laughs> And uh, I am my producer, so anything that goes wrong is my fault. Right? Do you have like a story structure that you try to follow? Or are you like Not trying to create really. something like that, or is it just like trying to keep the attention and captive? Yeah. In the uh, conversation? yeah. Other than the start and the end, which I like to have some uniformity, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you know, what are you drinking? And have the guest self-introduce 
him or herself. I don't have a formula in between because, you know, it's supposed to be conversational, mm-hmm. right? And for me, though, this is like a throwback to, like, when I used to own a place called Brutus, remember? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just... Re- what I'm, what I try to recreate in my brain anyway is that five thirty, six o'clock, seven o'clock hour, where I used to be at the eighth floor of the ITC building. Yeah, people would be gathering. I get a little buzz on my BlackBerry or my iPhone I had at the time, and we're says, out of Jack Daniels. <laughs> then there'll be a message, starting to hop, and I go, "Oh, good, I'll be down. I'll be down to say hi." And so I'd wrap up what I'm doing, uh, not quite close to the office, just stop what I was doing, uh, then make my way down with the intention of having, like, you know, just a quick five minutes, walk around the room, see mm-hmm. if I knew people, um, yeah. say hello, greet them. Felt like I was welcoming them to my uh, living room. Like, it was my living room party that I wasn't going to stay for. Welcome, <laughs> yeah. guests. Enjoy What's yourself. Up? Yes, exactly. Hey, spend a Eat, lot of money. drink, be merry, <laughs> exactly. listen to the fine band. Yeah, and uh, make sure, you know, everything's kind of going smooth. And if I felt good, then I would I tell myself, okay, I'll go upstairs, finish my work, go home. Mm. But that never happened. <laughs> I would always meet someone like you or somebody yeah, yeah. else and go, hey. And I was always at the bar. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then, then we we go from one drink and two drink and three drink. And before you know it, you know, it's three hours. And we've been talking on the side and talking about world things and you know, the subject just bounces all over the place, and you go home happy. Yeah. Right. You know, those meetings, I never, like, see them as a waste of time because I get to talk to interesting people. Right. And those, those conversations usually spark something or, right. you, know, you know, they help you grow. Or if, if at the very least, you're coming away with something. You know that person a little better. Right. You you had a little time off to recover. You, you let some steam off. You know, right. it's never really wasted time. Right. Uh, yeah, I always appreciated that about you. <laughs> and this, third, this goes back. Uh, I, it wasn't Jack Daniels. It was a bottle of black. I was drinking Johnny Black all the time. Right. I showed up to the Brutus, and I tweeted about it. I was like, oh, no, they're out of Johnny Black or something like that. And you saw the tweet. I and I actually just retweeted it today because I was looking through my timeline. I have a tendency to do that. Right. So I'm looking at tweets from back in 2010. I think it was 2010. And, uh, yeah, that's when you I, I tweeted about you showing up to the bar with a bottle of Johnny Black because you saw my tweet. That's right. Yeah. It was awesome. (laughs) And that's when you feel like a million dollars. Yeah. It really felt like my place, my watering hole, where everybody knows your name. You know, that's what it felt like. Now, welcome to my new watering hole. What do you think? All right. I'm going to come over every Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, this place is a little different. You have to bring your own Johnny Walker. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you pour because it's a little far. We're because we're six feet apart, you know. So you you are in the you know you've always been an entertainer. That's how I met you. Mm-hmm. You were a musician. Yeah. And um, and I first met you that way. And of course, you were the youngest brother or younger brother, not youngest, younger brother of the wife of one of my business partners, mm-hmm. Eric Tedinko. And his wife Tara and I always like to take. I don't. Know, I don't know if I get the credit, but I take the credit that I made them get married because there was a time when they were dating that he yeah. was not sure. Oh, he's like, I don't know if I'm going in too fast. You know, I just you know broke up and I don't know. And I go, well, she seems like a nice girl. Mm-hmm. I said, what's the problem? 
And he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's too fast. Isn't that always the fear in a relationship? I go, so it's, yeah, what's too fast? Sometimes yeah. it's too late. Yeah, no, I think, you know, guys are in general are gun shy, right? Because mm. they're worried about their partner, especially if they value the relationship. They're like, am I moving too fast or am I going yeah. slow? Do I need to, what do I need to do? You need to talk to her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, I, you know, I get it because he had kids. And, of mm-hmm. course, Tara had child, too. So mm-hmm. I know that that was one of the concerns. Like, well, you know, are we going to do fast for our kids? Like, I don't want to break up oh, and, yeah. and make them feel miserable that they just got used to Uncle Eric. Mm. And Uncle Eric's like, bye-bye. Don't talk about him ever again. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So I get it. But I said, hey, if she's nice, she seems she seems very nice. She She's into the... Uh, uh, triathlon and biking like you are. She likes to be in fitness. She's beautiful. What's the problem? I said, does, does she have like a dick brother or something? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, but that's how I met you. And uh, Tara gave me full warning before we uh, we had you on board. She goes, you know, my brother is demanding. I go, oh, how old is he? I thought like you were an older brother. Like, why is he so demanding then? She goes, well, you know, he's just very, uh, what was the word she used? I forget now, but something close to confident or, she didn't use arrogant because she loves you. Um, I was figuring it out. But, you know, yeah, you were, right? But you were like, you were very sure of yourself, I think, and you were, I think you had just moved from the States or something like that. Yeah. So you you still had that like mainland mentality a little bit. Mainland douchiness, yeah. Yeah, like, hurry up! Go, go, go! Yeah, I was, yeah, I, I don't look back fondly on that time, yeah. like my personality wise, because I think I burned a lot of bridges and the people still have these, the perception of me that I'm still that same person from 2004, 2005. Right. Well, I've tripped right. and fell on my face many a time because of those personality or character flaws or, you know, the work in progress. Yeah. And. Well, that's okay. You know, we're all a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. But who stuck with you all these years? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I really appreciate the people that saw past it, you know, the abrasiveness. The, uh, my best friend says I I can be very curt. Mm. Whereas, you know, like my way of showing respect to somebody is by not wasting their time. So I don't really kind of bola bola. I don't, you know, hey, how's your day? Da da da. I I just kind of get in and get out. I'm just, you know, if I need something, I'm like, I don't want to waste too much of your time. I know you're very busy. Um, can I get this? Da, 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 da. Yeah. But culturally, I don't think that works. Right. It doesn't work in, it, in well, depending on the situation. Especially if you've never left here, mm. you know, and you haven't had to deal with s- somewhat of a colder, bigger world. Like Guam is a community. So, you know, they always tell, tell you, if, especially if you're from the states, uh, mainland states, and, and, and you've just moved here, and they've sort of got that, you know, uh, I'm out for myself attitude because you almost have to. You know, you're like at Costco on a Black Friday, you know. Mm-hmm. That's my shit, you know. Uh, here you'd be like, oh, par, you can have it, you know. Yeah. But deep inside you're hurting. It's <laughs> enough at Maulik. Yeah, you're like, oh. It, it's I the harmony. It. Yeah. The harmony is more important. The communal aspect is more important than the in- individual. That's and right. it took me a while to realize that. Right. And, well, I've realized it. <laughs> so I've 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 had a complete 180 yeah. in how I approach those those relationships and fostering those relationships and whatnot. That's good. Yeah. I, I think marriage helped 
get you yeah. there. Well, you know? she... Because you can't, like, just always be a dick to your wife, you know? Well, I'm never <laughs> I, I know. I'm not saying... That, I'm just <laughs> using that as an example. You you can't stay married being a dick to yeah, your wife or yeah, husband, yeah. you know? You know, you just can't be a jerk to your partner. Yeah. And, you and you know, marriage is serious. So I was very... I mean, if I, I was for sure... But, okay, Logan's having a baby. That's why he's getting married. You know, oh, wow. You know, like, well, that's because that's what people do when they suddenly get married. But obviously, no baby. Not that you're not trying. Um, because because we always try. And, uh, but yeah, it's it seems like you guys have a good partnership. And, and I think that's, I think that then resonates to your relationship with other people. Because you start to value you know that relationship and you do sometimes take a back seat and you sort of let the person um slide you know like oh. a, let's say a friend or a, an acquaintance you're not ready to pounce on them as much as you used to because i'm i'm kind of like you i was you know i grew up here and and then i left mm-hmm. for a good long time you went to la right that's right oh yeah. so much worse than ohio <laughs> yeah Ohio's <laughs> a lot nicer i think no no no. i mean when it comes to that mentality yeah you gotta be you know? Well, look, like I went to university um, where it's such an international crowd. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't matter. You're from uh, Korea, Vietnam, Thailand, whatever. They just group you into Asians. Mm. And I expect you to. Well, everyone thought I was Indian or Mexican. So I can see you being Indian. When I when I would hang around with my Indian friends, yeah. everyone thought I was Indian. When right. I would hang around with my Latino friends yeah. and go to, what was it called? Uh, Cora Latina. It was like a salsa night. Oh, okay. And I had long hair. Okay. You know, you ponytail. Were, you everyone were, came up to me. <laughs> no, everyone would come up and speak Spanish to me. And then it was funny when people would explain, like, no, he's from Guam. Yeah, yeah but your last name is Reyes. Right. Reyes. You do realize that <laughs> the Spanish, they, they did a lot of colonizing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm from one of your colonies. Yeah. <laughs> Former colonies. Yeah. No, I get it. And so, yeah, you, you, you learn to put on a facade that you're, that you're tough and that you're not going to take bullshit. And, and then when you come back, you know, if you're, if you're not careful, uh, you come off, you continue that. Hmm. And it takes a while. It takes a while sort of for you to kind of get back to Guam ways, which is uh, a little bit more accepting, a little bit more humble. A lot more humble, and, I would say. Yeah, and just saying, okay, dude, you know, chill out a little bit. Let's be friends, not fuck you, fuck mm-hmm. you. You know, let's take it outside. Although there's a lot of that too, but um, those usually that's because a lot of alcohol or, you know, some other substance abuse or hot chick <laughs> like a really hot chick it's usually one or the other <laughs> yeah. right so tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about what what your new gig is so i got picked up about a year ago to host a show on news talk k57 news talk mm-hmm. and what it's you know <laughs> i i can't really explain my show we we break down things and that's what i try to do because i in the climate that we live in, the social climate, there's a lot of misinformation. Right. So I spend a lot of my time clarifying things on the show. Funny thing about that, that offends some people. Right. If they don't believe what you're clarifying. Right. <clears throat> Amazing. Some, and I've, I've, some, I've figured out that it offends for different reasons. Um, and I've learned to navigate that because the goal is not 
to offend, the goal is to clarify. And if somebody is too offended, you know, then it's like, am I really communicating the facts to them? So I've, you know, tried to find ways in which I could, you know, navigate that and create conversations and not shut people down. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do that. And I, I try to get dissenting opinions. I try to get people that have unpopular opinions to call into the show. Because they have a voice that an, uh, or, or an opinion that a lot of other people share, but they're afraid to share them uh-huh. in this climate because you're going to get canceled if you, if you have a different opinion than somebody else. And I think that's just BS. Right. Yeah. So I try to, I try to foster those conversations on the show. I can see how people can be intimidated in discussing something with you because they're like, this fucker is trying to embarrass me. He's going to try to embarrass me, and that's sort of the default that they're ga- that they feel talking with you, and it's and it's not your fault. It's just because it's just the way that I I've been watching. Because you mm. always say, "Well, why is that?" Yeah, you'll say it's, that a lot. There's a lot of inflection. Yeah, it's a lot of it, and I learned that from I read an article about Trevor Noah and how people open up to him, and then even the same with Oprah. Because I was I was trying to become a better host to create yeah. more conversations, right? And I'm like, and somebody told me that people are too intimidated. Right. Right. I'm too intimidating. I'm like, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. How am I going to stimulate conversations if people are too intimidated? Right. So I got to, I got to fix that. Right. So how do I fix that? And I, I just happened upon this article and they're talking about inflection and how Trevor Noah uses inflection to make the person that he's interviews in, interviewing, like Tommy Lauren. Tommy mm-hmm. Lauren is a pretty far right-wing pundit that has a show, right? She has some pretty incendiary opinions, uh, especially if you're more liberal, right? Uh, But he interviewed her, and everyone was like, get her, get her, get her. Yeah, he's going to get her. And he's like, no, they're they're like a guest in my home, and we're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to learn about you. And I was like, yes. Right. So I adopted that. Yeah, because if you're just inviting people to try to embarrass them. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you'll get your laugh there. People are going to go, don't go to that show. Yeah, exactly. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Right. What a lot of people don't know is that, you know, even though time has passed and you got married, I've gotten family life and I slowed mm-hmm. down with the bar business and stuff. Yeah. Once in a while, I'll ping you and yeah. I'll say, hey, what's going on? Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And people see that part. They say, oh, those guys are buddies. But there was one point where we like had a falling out. Yeah. I want to say a 48 hour falling out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, See, you, I could have cowered from that. You could have cowered from that yeah. and just said, fuck But that. we're not those kinds of people. We're not, right? Yeah. I reached out to you. You reached out I to me. I was very, I think that brought us closer together. Yeah. And I, I, my respect for you was elevated because of it. Because you, you humbled yourself. Right. And the first thing you did after that, that little tussle <laughs> was, like, you asked for us to meet. And then the first thing you did was you hugged me. Yeah, and I was like, "This guy, <laughs> this guy." And uh, he's using. You had the, me at hello. <laughs> you, had me, you had me with the hug land. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, no. Honestly, it was the meeting that you requested. You asked me, and I was just like, "This guy." But yeah, I I was still had I was still kind of up in arms. Yeah, and then you reached out and hugged me. I was like, "This guy, he's a good guy." Yeah, yeah. I think I think people need to do that more often. Yeah, not necessarily hug, but just really be honest with the people that they're having a problem with and saying, you know, hey, I'm sorry. Or if you don't understand why they're mad at you, just Mm. ask. Say, man, what? what?" 
Yeah. You know? And it's at that point, it's incumbent on the person to say something back. Yeah. Because I know a lot of situations um, where other people are involved, uh, not necessarily me, in some cases me, where they go, I say, hey, what happened to you guys? I don't know, falling out. I said, well, what, why'd you fall out? And they're like, I don't know. I said, but you guys are such good friends. Yeah, mm. I don't know. Yeah. I said, you wouldn't try to find out after 20 years why there yeah, was a fallout? Right. <laughs> the yeah. only people that I've allowed myself to distance from are people that were toxic. Uh, and yeah. like you get to that point where you realize that they're toxic and you're just like, no. this is not, not healthy. Yeah. But see, right. that's, that's a reason. Yeah. That's a good that's reason. That's not just. That's like, I don't made know. Made me mad. I don't know, man. I don't yeah. know. We stopped talking. You know? I think grudges weigh heavier on the individual that's holding it than, you know, because I think, I think for so. me, it's just the way I view grudges. It's like, it's a power play and you want that person to know that you were hurt by something that they did. So you're refusing them. Right. You know, that interaction that they're so used to. But really, I think it weighs heavier on the individual that's doing that. Because, you know, um, whenever there's a grudge, usually what happens is like, why are we mad at each other? What are we? And then you get the two people together and they're like, oh, I thought it was this. No, it was <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, da, da, da. And if you just talk about it, you get you get through it, right? Or maybe you don't, right? And that's okay. You know, if you've had the conversation. But at and, least it's clear. Yeah, and it doesn't work out. You say, okay, well, I guess we hit... We hit our limit, yeah, and that's it. Well, I have a I have a personal philosophy in that you're allowed to be wrong, right? And you shouldn't, you know, how do you put this? You shouldn't have to cancel a relationship because somebody was wrong or did something wrong. Just like it's it's wrong to attack people for having a different opinion than right. you or something right. like that. And if if you if you shut these people down and shut anybody down because they have a different opinion than you or they did something wrong, then how are they going to learn? How are they going to get better? How are they going to grow if people won't allow them to be wrong and to learn and to grow? Right. Right? That's just, I've learned that through the show mm. as well um, because I expect that of myself and that's pretty selfish to expect that of other people and not, you know, give the same. Yeah, you don't want to be a hypocrite, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So how do you think the show is going? What, where are you at now? This is the first year, right? It's just past the first year, and I feel like I've really, really caught a groove, and I'm, I'm very comfortable in the conversations that I have. Okay. I, I think I've made a lot of the mistakes up front. All right. And have moved past them. I got through political season. That was great. Yeah. Sarcasm. But it was also great entertainment. Right, it's it's kind of a bittersweet thing, right? Because it's on one end, there's a lot of content, mm-hmm. but on the other end, man, it gets really personal. It sometimes. gets so heated, especially if you're talking, not even talking bad, right. just like stating the facts about right. a certain candidate. Yeah, the loyal supporters of that candidate will come for you. Oh, you mean like phone calls? No, no, no. Just like troll you online, dig into your past, look into you, like put you under a microscope. Try to find any little thing. Oh, he has a zit today. Look at this thing. You know, stuff like that. Not that that ever happened to me, but I know that. You don't get zits. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I'm on that Bretman Rock uh, regimen. Moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. Actually, you know, that's funny. My sister's like, wow, your skin looks amazing. And I was like, I started using Tina's uh, <laughs> skin regimen. And I just started doing it like two years ago. I was like, man, where have I been? You know, you do the, uh, 
the cleanser and then the toner and then the moisturizer. <laughs> it really like makes a big difference. The three steps. Yeah, but you know, for 37 years, I was like, "Bad, that's that's lame. I'm not gonna do that." Well, you know, I I hate being wrong. I, I hate being I, ignorant. I hate being wrong so much that I try not to be wrong, and that's why I'm more careful than ever as I get older on what I say, how I say, and when I say it. Because when I was younger, and what? How old are you now? 39. 39. Okay, so I'm 50. We're almost, you know. Close enough, you know. <laughs> We're almost close enough, but but uh, it's amazing. In my twenties, especially my late twenties, when I thought I knew the shit, mm. and uh, but still respectful, I, I would listen. But in the back of my mind, I'm already dissenting. You know, I'm already, I've already got like okay, I've already tuned out what this elder is telling me. You're talking about the hubris of youth. Yeah business life mm. whatever i'm just i'm like nodding respectfully but in my mind i've You're already like these dinosaurs tuned out <laughs> oh man but now in my 50s i perspective I, yeah i actually i look at it very differently i look at it going well i don't want to fuck up so let me listen if i hear anything that i can learn then i will you know store it Whatever I already know, I'll ignore because mm-hmm. I already know that. But I've become very selective in how I listen now. You know, I, I try to hear the things I don't want to hear so that I, so that it challenges me to, like, revisit what I'm doing, what I'm saying. I'm like, am I right? Am I wrong? So, like, politics, religion, you know, life, uh, business, marketing. I mean, there's just so many things that I deal with. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I'm raising five kids, mm-hmm. right? Co-parenting with my with their mothers, and of course, Kelly helps as the uh, uh, surrogate mother when they're in our household. So there's a lot of parents going around, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the responsibility lies with mom and dad, especially when they are very involved biological parents, right? And it's very common in a split household going, well, that may be true in your mom's house, but that ain't going to happen here. And there's a lot of that mm-hmm. that I know. I totally know because my friends tell me. And I always tell them, stop doing that. Don't make your kids choose between mom and dad. Yeah, no. You know, you got you to gotta build a single household even though it's not. Yeah. So I'm very lucky in that I've been able to get with moms of my kids, have a, an adult relationship with them that is at a parent, parental level, at the highest level I think you can have because you can be married, husband, wife, and that's a, that's a very high level, mm-hmm. right? And, and you can be siblings, and that's a very high level. But at the end of the day, you, you still have very individual people agreeing to have a relationship with one another. The parental relationship is you may not necessarily care for each other anymore, mm-hmm. romantically or even otherwise, but you understand you are responsible for this third party. Yeah. And so you have to get above your own selfish hurt, selfish pride. Uh, you have to be willing to compromise, concede, 
you know, all of these things. And it does make you a better person for it because uh, when you're raising a child in a two, two-part household, and, if, and for those that are listening, if you're not doing this, I really recommend you try to reach out to the other side and say, let's parent him or her together. We don't have to be, you know, best friends. We don't have to go out and shop together for their clothes. But, but let's have the same rules. Consistency. Yeah, because the, the for child. For the sake of the child. Yeah, the child is looking at you as mom and dad, not mom on Wednesday, dad on Thursday, mm. right? But it, it can easily become that. And so I know a lot of friends who, uh, not a lot, but I know friends that are going through tough times with separation in their uh, marriage, and they have kids and. Um, you know, this COVID thing has been very disruptive for some relationships, and mm-hmm. it has been a, an enhancement for others. Yeah. But for, but for those that have had a destructive uh, path due to these confinements um, and, you know, what broke their otherwise normal lives. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sad to see some of my friends go there that way, but that's the reality. And uh, I just advise them. I said, Reach out to the other side, no matter how angry they are at you or you at them, and say, we're over, but she's not. He's not. Mm. That's still our kid. Yeah. You know, we need to raise him or her like we're still together and and, and without making it weird for, for our significant others, right? Mm. And and so it's, it's, it is a compromise, and... Uh, and like I said, as you get older, you start to understand relationships are very complicated. It's not binary. Um, and it's you got to just deal with each one as they come. It's communication. It's, it's, it's not just the mindset. It's the practice. So, like, I think one big disconnect, especially, like, as I was growing up, as people are like, Logan, humility, humility. People kept saying humility to me. And I thought I, I could conceptualize it. I was like, I am not an arrogant person in my mind. But a lot of my behaviors were seen as arrogant, right? And then we need to have a conversation about it, and maybe we can navigate it. But if I just shut the dude down or shut the woman down, what happens? They get become more entrenched, right? And there's, there's no growth. There's nothing. So I don't really have people getting mad at me anymore since political season is done. <laughs> um, and the few things are as volatile as politics, right? right? So, yeah, just navigating it, it's, it's, I had to learn how to show the people I was conversing with and the people listening that I had the utmost respect for the people that were calling in. Yeah, and I think in your format where you, you have callers and you want callers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you're doing, just doing this monologue for... Oh, I've done two-hour yeah. shows. Yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah. With <laughs> just nobody, nobody just me. Was that and in the beginning? Yeah, there was okay. a lot of that in the beginning. And it was basically like, I read this article. Mm-hmm. Let me read it to you. And then I was like, that's not entertaining. Right. If I wanted somebody to read to me, I'd be like, hey, Google, read this article, you know? Right. Yeah, you felt like an audio b- book for a while. Yeah, and that's just, that's so, not entertainment. So, yeah, okay, so that, that leads me to this question. What do you feel like moving forward you want to do more of? Continue to be the musician, play gigs, bigger stages or this format, this sort of thing that you kind of happened upon by accident maybe. Um, it's because it, I don't think you've ever said to me, because I want my own radio show. Mm. I don't. I never heard you ever tell me that. 
I think you've wanted to be governor, dictator, <laughs> you know, whatever. But never just, oh, I want to have my own radio show. I don't, I, I don't ever remember you saying you wanted your own radio. So this must be something that was serendipitous and happened. Yeah, it was kind of. So, like, if I were to ask you, okay, Logan, in five years, not that you, you have to discard one or the other, but if you had to prioritize, which path would it be as a musician or as this sort of commentator, public speaker type of guy? Music's always going to be there, yeah. and I love performance. Yeah. I love performance art. Yeah. I love the show, the right. lights, mm-hmm. the crowd, the energy. I like that. Right. Um, and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get that out of my system. Right. But see, like radio, you're not going to get groupies. I mean, you're going to get groupies, but they're going to be 80. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I think your wife would prefer the 80 groupie than, you know, the 25-year-old groupies. But, you know, like, what's going to satisfy you? Like, I know musically may satisfy you, feed you spiritually, but like, I'm always going to play music, but it's yeah. the performance that the performance. that that I'm really drawn to yeah. and being able to perform. I've always So been you're performing both ways. Even yeah. Though, yeah. And, and you know, if, yeah. if you ask my parents, they're going to be like, or my brothers and sisters, they'll be like, yeah, Logan's been performing his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. He's always, you know, been like, hey, everybody, look at me. Yeah. You know, look at my really awesome breakdancing on my cardboard. Yeah. Like, you suck. You so, know? <laughs> so what do you, what's your family think of your radio show? Um, I don't know. Do they give you a lot of feedback or they kind of just leave My dad listens. My dad, my mom and my dad listen and they give me feedback and they're very supportive and they're like, you know, good show today. And they give me little tips and pointers here and there. Well, I heard you were their favorite anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. By the way, Patrick will be on the show uh, in two weeks. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky to be invited on the Mighty Islands documentary for him. They, they, uh, I have a little uh, part in it. And um, and I, Pat called me the other day, and he said, Hey, uh, happy Thanksgiving, so-so. And I said, Okay, Pat, so you remember, right? We have a show. You're, you're going to be on the podcast in two weeks. He goes, Yeah, should I bring my piano? I said, Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Patrick Palomo yeah. offers to play for you, yeah. you say yes. I said, hell yeah. Every it. time. It'll be the first show you know, with music. He really is a world-class talent. He is, man. And he lives on Guam. I don't think enough people realize just how lucky we are to have yeah. him. Right. He's the real deal. Like, he could be anywhere in the world yep. playing professionally, but he's here. I still look fondly behind those. Like, and people are like, why don't you open another bar? Yeah, you did such a good bar. And I said, well, maybe when they get a little older, my kids get a little older, we'll do that. And then I'll make a proper bar again. The life of a bar owner is hard work because you are your business. People go there to see you. It is true. It is true. And and that's, I mean, you know, 2005, I believe I bought, uh, I opened it. I sold the business 2011. Mm -hmm. It was a good run, you know. Six years. Uh, I want to say a little bit longer. 2015. Yeah. 15. So nine yeah. years. Nine years, I still had the same lineup, remember? Yeah. Ne- I never fired a Service band. Service <laughs> Yeah. Never fired a band. I think bands, if a band quit, so be it. But I never fired a band because my, my, my point to the band was you'll always have a home here. Yeah. So good days, bad, we're going to we're gonna be okay. Because um, you're going to have good days. And then mm-hmm. you're going to have a crowd. 
and you're going to think to yourself, I'm awesome. They should pay me more. But then there are going to be days where nobody comes. And then I'm going to think, what the fuck? I'm paying you less, you know? So yeah, there so, were a lot of places that operated that way. Yeah. So I said, to avoid that, we just agree on what we both will be happy with. Yeah. And then we go from there. What's mm-hmm. fair? You yeah. know how bars work on Guam. It's like you have a hot thing on this night. Right. And you have a hot thing on that night. Right. And if you mess with the magic, you're playing with fire. Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, it was very rare to have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as hot as we did for that period. Yeah. I, and I want to say it was a good two, three years. I really liked how there were no fights at the House of Brutus. That was my favorite thing about it. It yeah. was a classy joint. Yeah, it was classy. Everybody, you know. Except for that one night. One night. My general manager and his wife had a fight. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But, uh, yeah, people still come up and go, hey, what, you know, what I want to do is a reunion show. What do you think? We should do a reunion yeah. show. Yeah. You know, I know that the musicians would just jump at the at the opportunity to play with each other. Yeah, I think so. And I just need to figure out. I wanted to do it this <laughs> year. Like, we love to play with each other. Yeah, it was like my 50th year, my 50th birthday, just being, you know, all about me. So I was like. You know what? I'm going to you don't turn 50 every day. Yeah. Right? And so despite myself, I have survived to 50. <laughs> despite myself. Against all odds. Against all odds. I am immortal. So <laughs> I'm going to book a ballroom. I am going to book the best uh sound equipment. I am going to fly you know, Santina over from San Diego. Uh, I am going to find Miko and Stevie, who I heard got divorced, and I'm going to bring them back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I was like, you know, feeling like the, the god of universe and trying to, and I got most, the, everybody that I reached out to said, yeah, sure, whatever, we'll do it. And uh, we were going to sell tickets so I can mm-hmm. cover the costs. But then I, I said, and then whatever on top of it, liquor sales, whatever, Everybody gets the same cut. Mm. Like, you know, so if it was $100 each, great. If it was $1,000 each, great. I said, I don't want any of it. I just want it to happen, like the reunion show. And then COVID hit. Yeah. Fuck. Dun, dun, dun. COVID sucks. I got uh, cigars for us. So I picked you a Romeo Juliet. Romeo y Julietas. Julietas. It's very Cigarros. Nice. It's very nice. Have you have you been smoking cigars lately? Lately, no. Okay. I know you were hanging out with cigar buffs for a while. I, you know, I've been very fortunate throughout my life that there are people mm-hmm. who know a lot more about this. Yeah. And they always gift me with amazing cigars. Right. So I've maybe had a couple bad cigars in my life mm-hmm. because the people that gift them to me, it's just kind of like, you know, you go with what you know. Right. So I've been, yeah, I've been fortunate. Well, we're lighting up here in the studio, everybody, and that's not weed. Um, we're smoking some cigars, because that's what we do at the Stagio. Oh, yeah. I miss, I used to, I miss yeah. Uh, Mar- Mac and Marty's. Yeah, I used to play there. I played at Mac and Marty 2, 3, 4, 5. I don't know how many iterations uh, of the business, but I, I played at a few of them. Played there for a long time. I don't know how the bars are going to come back. How do you think the bars are going to come back after all this closure? I mean, how can you survive? I mean, you've got rental 
Now, it's like the landlords aren't going to just say, oh, you know, you have 12 months of rent that are we don't you don't have to pay for. That's not going to happen. There's mm-hmm. no assistance for rent. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm almost blessed that I don't have a bar right now. Well, people, yeah, for the business owners, right, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Robert Reich, who's the former labor secretary under Clinton, I think he was talking about how industries shouldn't be bailed out because banks are, you know, the Fed and sure. banks are giving away cash at such low rates that you could, you know, borrow against it, blah, 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 blah. Borrow your way out. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like, really, bro? <laughs> Just yeah. kind of like, really? That you know? doesn't sound very progressive. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I, I feel bad for the bar owners, yeah. right? And at the same time, I'm just like, but you're hotbeds. You're you, like, you go to any country, look for clusters in those countries. And it's like always at like a church or a right. bar or a nightclub. And it's just kind of like, bro, how but, do we get over that? How do we fix that? But here, here's my counter argument to that. And I, you know, I have no skin in the game, right? I don't have a, the restaurant's been sold. I don't have interest in the restaurants anymore. I don't have a bar. So I'm just, I have no skin in the game. So when I speak, I speak loudly for my brothers and sisters in the industry, whom I was a part of for almost 15, 16 years. Restaurants and bars could become clusters. Mm -hmm. Some have, in fact, become clusters, but so have construction companies. They have been closed down, and in 48 hours, they can reopen because they're considered essential. Mm. Yeah. Restaurants and bars. See, the, the, the science behind the cluster is that you can at least manage a cluster. Yeah. Yeah. What you can't manage, and I, I hate to say this because I have good friends in the grocery business and other businesses, that's the harder one to, to manage. Community spread. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say if I were the governor's uh, advisor, I'm not. And I understand. I've always defended her during this period. Not because they were friends of mine or I know them, but it's a tough job. It really is. Uh, on one end, you say collateral damage, people are going to die. On, on another end, you say, well, people are going to go broke, collateral damage. It's a zero net gain. It's a zero net win. So I don't envy the decision-making process. But this being said, you can manage a cluster infection. You can say, okay, there's 30 people at that bar. They properly took the names. We know who they are. They're going to isolate. Some are going to hospitalize. Many will not. Bro, that COVID alert app. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interject, but I'm just going to, I'm going to offer that. The COVID alert app, everyone calls it a tracking app. It's not a tracking app. (laughs) Yeah. It alerts you. They're like, oh, but how do you, just download the app and read the tutorial. But I really think that. If enough people, if 60% of the population downloads it, or even just 60% of like a high-risk population, like people 20 to 30, the, the were to download are going to go to the bars and restaurants. Yeah, yeah. You could potentially reopen because you have that technology. So I was just like, I, I even proffered this on the show. I was just like, what if the price of admission right. to a bar is the COVID alert app? Right. That's on it. If a number of phones already have them embedded, they just have to be activated. Or you could download, you know, your local government's phone uh, app, right? right? But I'm like, that's a pretty small price to pay. 
But for other people, they're just kind of like, I don't want the government in my pocket. Yeah. Well, what, what I don't was, know why I used that accent. It just sounded because <laughs> it sounds very, sounded cool. Very. Uh, no, it's fine. I have a funny story later. We'll talk about that. Uh, but um, but I I, I kind of you know I I'm in that same line, Logan. Like, and I told the governor this in a rotary session. I said, Governor, rather than having essential non-essential, let's just have compliant non-compliant businesses, right? Those businesses that are in compliant with what we think we need to happen for mm-hmm. the law, for, for COVID to be managed, can open. Those that don't, and we find that they're not, will close. That's better because it's isolating those that are participating voluntarily for the betterment of their business to do the right things according to the right people mm-hmm. to open. So if I'm a restaurant, for example, or I'm a bar, and, I, and, and one of the requirements to open is say, okay, all right, I mean, we do that right now, right? We do that in a, bear, but in a very binary fashion. It's like, okay, well, it's P core four, so 25% occupancy mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay, well, that's, that works nicely on a spreadsheet, but it's, every business is different. You don't have the same size, so if, like, if I have a business like the Westin or the Hyatt or... Leo Palace, and my 25% occupancy is 3,000 people mm-hmm. because I take in consideration where they can be. Okay, I can do that. But if I'm a small restaurant with maybe 20 seats, that's including staff, right? Yeah. I got serve one person. <laughs> I got two people outside, you know. Yeah. doesn't work. So rather than doing this, okay, what are we trying to do? Okay, so we're trying to we're trying to keep catch clusters. We're trying to have contact con- contact uh, tracing, all this. Stuff. So these are what we want. If you comply to these and you have a daily report, you can stay open. It might be more administrative uh, for these businesses. I think businesses would jump at that opportunity. But they'll do it because then they can stay open, yeah. and 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 customers will also trust the business better, mm-hmm. right? And if they if you say, well, we're we're just not going to fucking do that, well then okay, you can't open. I think that's fair. But to just simply categorically say bars can't open mm-hmm. uh, or restaurants can only have outdoor dining. I think that initially when we didn't know about this as much and it was new, that was acceptable. But moving forward into 2021, 22, 23, this thing, this thing isn't just going to magically disappear. No, no, no. Donald Trump's going to save us. Well, it gets warm. It'll be okay. Yeah, we're just going to inject some chlorine yeah. and everyone, everything's going to be okay. What? But even the chlorine or the vaccine. Oh, no, no, not chlorine, Clorox. Yeah. None of that is going to help, right? At the end of the day. I'm joking. That was people, sarcasm, people. people. Were, yeah, people were, he was joking. Fake news. I was joking. But. Sorry. See, that's why people think I'm an asshole, because I do things like that, and I cut people off like you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> is, that, is that called snarky, being snarky? I mean, I'm. Sorry. You're making a point, and I'm sorry I interrupted. The point is, I think, okay, can I just try to clarify what I think I hear you saying? Yeah. That this kind of a blanketed approach yep. to to which businesses are essential and which businesses aren't right. isn't, how, what's the word? It, it, it doesn't work, right? It and, and and it should be nuanced, and there should be different criterium for different businesses. Right. Um, 
but you're not suggesting that it's just do nothing, right? That's not what no. you're suggesting. No, do nothing is not an answer. Yeah. You know, it's that's one part of the conversation that I think gets really, really convoluted. It's like if you're either people see it in a black and white fashion, right? Mm -hmm. Very binary. It's you're pro health and protect the community or you're pro business and right. whoever's gonna die is gonna die. But there's this middle ground where it's like, no, like we're we're not irresponsible. We don't want our customers to die. Right. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then even on the same side, you know, like, no, we want the businesses to survive. And we, we just want to protect the public health. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, it gets so separated on the two sides that you don't, we don't have these conversations that we're having right now. It's not surprising. You know, we live in a world of one size fits all. And so the solution becomes that. But what I'm proposing is a tailored process. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So you have Logan... You have an Italian restaurant, or Mexican. People thought you were Mexican. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have a Mexican restaurant, and you have 15 seats, and you have five employees. That makes 20 people total. Mm -hmm. Well, if we do 25% capacity all in, there's no point in you opening. You're, we're already signing a death sentence to you. Yeah. Right. Because of your nobody operates on a twenty five percent model. Well, nobody ever did, right? Yeah. Every, in fact, everybody, their business plan was based on a hundred and ten percent, you know, uh, business model. Yeah. Which was not unre you know, which was not tables. realistic either. So you know, for for most people, two turns, one and a half turns, right? That's that's the goal, but you can't do that. And so I would go to you, and and if I was in charge, if I was the czar of COVID. You know, I, was like, I said, all right, let's look at him individually. He's got 20 seats. I mean, he's got 20 capacity, 20 people capacity total. If we take out 25 of it, it's not even worth it. Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. All the to-go doesn't make sense for him. Yeah, you're not going to make any margins. You're going to lose. Yeah, because, you know, people want to buy the Coronas and the, the other things and what drink and there? eat and, and go home. Okay, so what if we give him five or six set of rules that have nothing to do with occupancy. He can be fully occupied, but he needs to do it in this manner. And he needs to rotate people in this timely manner. So if people come in, they can't congregate for an hour like they used to. Wow. They'd have to eat there for 30 minutes. Customers would understand because they're like, okay, this is how you're going to stay open. We love you. We don't want you to close. Sounds like a fantastic business model for COVID times. Yep. So I think restaurants will adapt to that, but not if public policy isn't sponsoring that. I can see, I can already identify a problem. I'm not trying to be a naysayer, right? Mm -hmm. I hate those people that are like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you every reason why this isn't going to work. Like those people, you're just kind of like, man, shut up, get yeah. out. I, I want people that. I have an answer to that. We want to figure ahead. out yeah. how we can make this happen. How, how do we make this happen? Not the people that are like, this isn't going to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, the one problem I see with that is that the, the litigation side of it, right? right? So why does this person in this industry get to do this when I should be able to do this? I should be held to the same standard. I... It's in my best interest to ensure that my customers are safe. Da 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 da. Right. And you know, I'm I'm just kind of spouting off, and this is is the first red flag that I would see, is that um, with a nuanced approach, you could claim that you're being discriminated against. 
Well, we have a nuanced approach now to keeping restaurants and bars open. It's called the health code. And you get an A, B, C, but D. But it's a uniform code. It's not in that it's 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 not uniform in terms of uh, numbers. It's not based on percentage. Yeah, but everyone has units. to abide by the same standards. Same standards. Standards don't no necessarily mean same capacity, same oh, yeah. percentage. So the, the reason why the current health approach is failing economically is they're not taking into account the mathematics, I feel, right? Policy-wise, it's sound. Like, okay, we don't want people to have COVID. That's okay. Six feet apart. That's okay. Wear a mask. That's great. Wash your hands. That's great. But let's 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 go back to pre-COVID times, right? Where food poisoning could kill you just as much, mm -hmm. maybe more instantly than COVID could. You had a if you had bad food, that could kill you. Yeah, dying of diarrhea is a third world problem. <laughs> well, it happens. You know, it can still happen. Yeah. Um, and and you can say that COVID is a third world problem. Problem in that we are in a situation where it, first world, we don't have a solution for it. So it it brings. Yeah, we do. We don't. Wash your hands, keep your distance, well, wear a mask. Well, if you have it, you, it's not wearing a mask, washing your hands isn't going to help you. And that's the fear, isn't it? It's not so much It's not so much that you, you're you going to get it. Because there's a lot of people that out there that say, I'll take the chance. It's when, yeah. you, when you get there's it. There's a lot of those people. When you go, holy shit, I got it. I got caught. I'm going to die. I mean, the governor said it herself. She says, I have to tell you, when I got it, I was scared shitless. Yeah. Right? She said it. I I, I kind of like the fact that she said it. Maybe. I love her candor. You know, some people didn't like that, but it's okay. I, I thought. She that's, said, that's COVID, a, it's a bitch. Yeah. And I was like, that's yes, Gov. That's exactly what people would have thought. Fuck. I would have said fuck. I think people needed to hear that. Yeah. But here's the thing. That's all fine and dandy. But the people that are saying, yes, we get it, but we need a solution. Staying closed is not the solution for us. We have to have some other remedies. What's the plan? I hear that a lot. What's yeah. the plan? What are we going to do, though? We, I mean, okay, we get it. Three months, six months. You're the first person I've talked to months, that months. actually has a plan. Yeah. Has actually broken down how they see this nuanced approach working. Because most people I talk to, and I dig. I dig with restaurateurs, I dig with business owners. I'm like, what do you want to happen? And the the response I usually get is either I don't know. I don't have but, the answer. But the government has to figure it out. That's right. why, you know, we pay taxes. Right. Or it's let me self-regulate. Mm -hmm. It's in my best interest because if my customers are getting sick, if I let anybody get sick in my restaurant, for example, Right. Then I get shut down and nobody's going to come to my restaurant if they don't feel safe. Right. And I see the merits. I yeah. see the merits in that argument. But I'm also just kind of like from the governance side, mm. I see the dilemma. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, ooh, can you imagine making that choice? OK, being in the governor's shoes right. and having the power to say and look what's happening in the states. Mm. A lot of the, the jurisdictions in the states that were just kind of like, screw it. Go do what you're going to do. They're seeing massive spikes. Right. We're seeing a, th not a, a, th a third wave, second wave, third wave. Guam, I think, is seeing a second, third wave, third wave. But in the States, the, the jurisdictions that didn't implement strong measures, didn't or had very lax measures, are seeing crazy spikes. And right. I think, you know, with pandemic fatigue, 
uh, for people, we we stop looking outward right. and mm-hmm. we stop looking to see what's working in other places, right? right? All we focus on is what's happening here, what's happening here. So going back to the point of from the governance standpoint, it's like, what's 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 the goal what, or what what are you what are you tasked right. with right protecting the public health how do you protect the public health you trust the experts you trust the scientists you trust the virologists the epidemiologists right you you take their lead because or you could just be like texas mm-hmm. be like south dakota and be like, no, 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 we're gonna self-regulate, and da, 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 and then, and we don't have the luxury of that. We have two hospitals, one COVID hospital, limited staff. We have what, like 160 beds, and I don't think we have enough staff to fill all those beds. Because if you look at what a nurse does to treat COVID patients, a nurse usually can treat, you know, two, three patients. I think that's what I read, but a COVID patient can take up a nurse's entire shift just on what they need. So it's like the fear, and this is something that I, I focus on, and some people might tease me about focusing on this. The fear is that we get to a point of triage where we don't have enough beds. And then somebody who's coming in for, for a car accident or a heart attack or something can't get treated because all the resources are focused on COVID or even just somebody with minor COVID symptoms and maybe they need a ventilator, but there's no ventilators available. You know what I mean? That's that's the fear. And I see that from the governance side where it's like that's where we don't want to be. Right. And I can and you know honestly I empathize and and maybe that's just a luxury that I have because I I don't have skin in that game. I'm I don't have my employees. I don't have a business. I'm not paying a mortgage and rent and utilities on a business that isn't making money. So I I recognize my own bias in it, but I, you know, I, I see from the other side, from, you know, having to make that hard decision. I'm just like, man, you, if, if you're able to give me some insight on that, on how to balance that. Well, okay, so. I'm all ears. Let's, I've, been, I've been searching for that, that insight. Let's, uh, let's search some solutions here. Uh, and um, there's a couple of things. There's pie in the sky stuff too, right? I mean. You never know. If you, if you don't ask, you don't get sometimes. Mm-hmm. So New York asked, and they received a converted naval ship, mm-hmm. USS Comfort. From what I understand, it's not getting used. From what I understand, it sort of doesn't have an assignment. Since we're, so, since we're such a badass, we should get it. That would alleviate us. And we're, and we're not just some, no offense to, you know, Midwestern towns. We're an important strategic military outpost. We are the spear mm-hmm. of the fucking Pacific, right? We are the first defense against China. We're the first defense against North Korea, etc. So if people on this island, this little tiny island of 160,000 plus another 50, 70,000 military personnel, if our hospitals are overwhelmed, the catastrophe would be complete right we would we would be a sinking ship okay that's that's enough for me to say get us uss comfort in the docks that's our floating hospital for the next year 
military emergencies, so forth. COVID, ho- COVID hospital right there. Now, I don't know what it takes to get that done, but that's where I say that's the government's job to get it done and a version of it. And if uh, the Marines are flying over here and this is, you know, it's been a, what, $6 billion transaction between the U.S. and Japan, I think we can get another USS Comfort made. Hmm. It's of it's of not only national it's not only of local interest but it's of national interest to have a floating hospital in the shores of Guam to take on military uh critical uh personnel and get them uh in the the best care in the world we should ask worst they can say is no i don't think we've asked not that i know of um and, and that's a real concern. Whether you like um, Akimoto or not, Dr. Akimoto, he has a point. If the hospitals are overwhelmed, that's the end game, right? If this was a chess game and I'm, I'm COVID. You're going to see deaths. It, yeah. Spot. If I'm COVID and I'm, your, I'm playing black and, and you're playing white as, as Guam, uh, the way to win this game is to get as many people in the hospital as possible. You know, we and we tend to personal. Uh, you know, we tend to create a uh, character out of these diseases. Uh, but but COVID is not a thinking, breathing thing. It's just it's just going to go wherever we go. So we need to figure out the sort of middle line of how do we keep an economy going without a lot of government subsidies because that can only last so much. Mm-hmm. We have to look at businesses who are essential and saying okay. Well, why are they essential? And not trying to figure out how to close a business, but how to open them. I think right now we have been thinking quite the opposite. We are trying to find ways to figure out how to close as many businesses as possible, not with some malice, right? Not malice, but because we want to stop the spread. But the reality is when we're in Payless and we're getting our groceries and we are exercising six feet apart at the checkout line. The reality is in the aisles uh, and in the produce section, there is no six foot apart. People are crossing each other all the time trying to get something or another. Wearing masks. Wearing masks. So I don't think the mask is um, is the problem. I think everybody would be more than willing to wear a mask. I can't speak for Texas... I can't speak for Dakota. On Guam, though, it's become almost a fashion statement. Like, oh, dude, you got the Lakers mask. You know, um, I think people are good with it, honestly. And I think that's from being so close to Japan and and Korea. Well, we're a communal society. Yeah, and and well, because not we, in the same way as Japan. A lot of us. Here. Well, a lot of a lot of us travels. You know, we travel in the winter time during influenza season, and we see them wearing masks, and we go. Those crazy Asians wearing those masks. I love that about Asia. But but you understand, right? They they did it for a reason. It, and it's and a lot of doctors, smart doctors I know, they say, oh, it's medically unsound. It doesn't it, it doesn't work. And even Fauci himself said, uh, early. Yeah, yeah, early, right? Yeah. But but that's the arrogance of Western medicine. I've always said, you know, they they look at what the East have been doing with herbal medicine acupuncture, all these other things, and saying, eh. It's not based in science. It's not based in science or prescriptions, right? But they knew, those guys knew a long time ago, wear a fucking mask. 
They yeah. there's a reason why those cultures are super clean. Yeah. They know how the germs but they also are are cognizant of how their behavior affects other people. Yes. And they they'll they they're embarrassed if they put burden on you. Yeah. Right? I mean, you go on an escalator in Japan, everyone moves to one side so that people that are in a rush can get there quicker. If you're in the stairs or a moving escalator, you go to the right side yeah. so that there the, are rules yeah. for harmony. Yeah. And so I believe Guam can easily adapt to those sort of cultural norms. But we are trying to be one size fits all. Okay, Hawaii's doing it this way, so let's do it that way. Mm. You know, California's doing it this way, so let's do it that way. We need to stop doing what Hawaii and California or any other state or country is doing. And we need to look at this island uh, person by person, business by, per, uh, business by business, and say, how do we, Guamanians, how do we fight COVID? That is a very interesting point. Yeah. Somebody said something very similar to me, but not in, on the, in the context of COVID. Uh, it was in the context of politics. Mm-hmm. It's we always look at ourselves through the lens of the West. Yeah. We look at what's happening in the States, right. like with Black Lives Matter. And then we kind of, how do you, how do you put it? He, he's like, we take the cue from right. there, you know? Um, whereas we need to look inward and look right. at what works for us because we're not the same. We're not. We do things differently. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, okay, let's go Let's go to politics because the politics is always firing. Because I keep thing. referencing yeah, our, well, our beloved president. Well, okay, let's let's go back. 2016, um, you and I would meet at Horse and Cow or something. We would yeah, have. that's right. Powwows. And I think I told you then, I said, well, you know, I kind of like Bernie Sanders' uh, social policies, but I'm going to, at the end of the day, I'm going to, I think Donald Trump's going to win the election. And nobody thought Donald Trump was going to win the election when I was saying it at the time. Um, yeah. It was still the primary. even another one of my buddies was just like Donald Trump and everyone like would laugh and like <laughs> yeah. wait what you're serious yeah, yeah, yeah so I was like yeah I think he's gonna win and it was just because his message was so when I say the word bold people will take it the wrong way racist no <laughs> it's bold in that yeah there was nothing racist about him calling for a ban on all Muslims entering the country in his first address as a candidate there was nothing he's terrible at messaging very. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. Policy, and it gets in the way of the policy. Policy-wise, actually pretty sound. Pretty sound. See, this is the thing. Okay, this is what I've come to realize about liberals and, and conservatives. Mm. I think, for the most part, a lot of my more conservative-leaning friends, they see all politicians as kind of the same ilk. Yeah. They're all liars. They're all this. They're all that, right? Yeah. But and then they don't care about that. They don't they don't care that Donald Trump lies. They don't care that he says the wrong things. Right. They think that the liberal guys are just playing identity politics and doing that. Right. What they care about is policy. And they're able to separate character from policy. And they like the policies that he was implementing, the more conservative judges, the economic economic policies, the immigration policies, which is interesting. But it, it was it was astounding to me. Because I couldn't separate the two. Because I, right. in a leader, look for somebody that my future children could aspire to be like. And I don't think there's a person in the world that truly wants their kid to grow up to be Donald Trump. I'd be very right. surprised to find that right. person. So, 
I had a conversation with that with a good, good, dear friend of mine. I won't say his name here. Gentleman. Gentleman and a gentleman. But he gets really upset with Donald Trump. Really upset. And he asked the same question. He goes, Cause, would you want your kids to look at him as a role model? And I had to tell him. I said, no. So why do you... Why aren't you as vocal and angry about him as, as the rest of us? And I had to tell him, I said, I really don't want my kids to idolize the president of the United States, whoever he, she would be. I don't count on politicians or to be your role models. priests or teachers. You know, No offense to any of those people. But the only person that's going to carve their character is me, is my, you know, my family, is their mother. I focus on that first. Whoever it is, they're running an administration. They're going to be gone in four years, eight years, eventually gone. I, to, for me to buy into that dogma is for me to still stay within the king era. Like, okay, that's our king, you know. He needs to be a good man. Oh, fuck the king. That's the way I look at it. Fuck the queen. I don't care. I'll do what I need to do to survive that administration or this administration and the next one. But my family is my kingdom, my, my domain. I need to make sure that these are human beings that grew up to be decent people. Now, the problem becomes that there are some families that don't have that. They don't have a father figure. They don't have a mother figure. They don't have a parent figure. And they may look at the president as a mentor or a uh, role model. But we also do that to athletes. We do that to celebrities. And to be honest, a lot of them are junk. It's the leader of the free world, man. I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, so this, is, this, this was what yeah. was astounding to me. Yeah. I look at the leader of the free world and I'm just kind of like, bro, like you're the leader of the free world. The rest of the world looks to you, right? Yeah. No, so, I, I get it. I understand that. But I, I, I also see how people can separate themselves from that mm. and be like, that doesn't matter. He is a politician and it's about, you know, popularity and saying the right things and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. every politician does it. Yeah. It's it's do the policies align with my values, and I, I think that's the biggest disconnect. Right, the more conservative leaning people mm -hmm. can make the disconnect. Yeah. So policy wise, if you really dig down, um, I I wouldn't say maybe sixty percent I agree with it. Right, mostly the economic issues. Really? Um, some of it, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't agree with a lot of other things. Uh, the immigration issue is a, it's a, it's a 50-50. On one end, I understand you got to have control of immigration. I'm a, I am a legal immigrant. You know, still. there was less illegal immigration when the borders were open. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think it's a border issue alone. I think so. If we're looking at the facts, yeah, I don't know if it's the border border issue alone. I think the 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 primary thing is. Are you going to have a legal process of immigration or not? Hmm. And that's the bigger picture. Now, whether at, at the micro level the policies adhere to that or not, that's, that's the debate. I think that needs to be happening. But to simply say, um, 
you know, we should have open borders. I don't ag- I don't agree to that because none of us agree to no, that. No, I hope that nobody takes that. I was I was just offering it as a talking point. Yeah. Um equity. Yeah. Is a is a is a sticking point that I think comes up a lot. Sorry, I interrupted what you were saying. No, no. Keep going. Well, what well, well something's funky here. Wait. I don't know if it's my earphones or let me just Oh, let me beatbox for you. There you go. So well, no. So what I mean is like, okay, so I, I put a lot of effort into remaining in this country called mm-hmm. the United States. I'm a Japanese citizen. I don't know if you still know, th- uh, if you know this. I How does know. one become a Japanese citizen? Is it through the parents? If your parents were Japanese uh, citizens, then you, you, you become? You can't be naturalized just because you live there. Yeah. You have to have a parent. Right. So the United States like in is- Germany. Yeah, U.S. is very, very much a unique entity in that anybody from any country can be American. American being American isn't ethnicity. It's a, it's a, it's truly a citizenship. Yeah. It's um, and it's very rare. It's very rare. It's so beautiful. It this is thing right that the United States is. So I this idea. Yeah. So I believe in open immigration. I don't know. I don't believe in open borders. You can't just walk over and say, "I'm yeah. here." Yeah. 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 Because I don't y- think anybody feels well, that way. Well, I think I think for many years that was fine when when the United States was a young country. Yeah. And it had lots yeah. of room. Yeah. Well, there's still lots of room, but there is. But then there's something complicated like public schools. Yeah. And this yeah. And yeah. That. There's the social costs. Yeah. And like, so. I understand a government trying to get a hold of that and saying, okay, well, fuck, you know, who's coming in, who's coming out? That's why we just had the census, right? Like, who's here? But there's a lot of misinformation around immigration. Like, they're stealing our jobs, you know, they're they're just welfare queens and yada, yada, yada. A lot of this stuff that is just untrue. And it just, it's it's that partisanship, you know? The... I'm with this party and we believe this. I'm with this party and we believe this. And it just it's so counterproductive. Well, so so I'll introduce a new thought. I sh- I think the party system should be destroyed. The two-party system. Just any party system. We should just have anarchy. Is that what you're suggesting? I just think individual uh, candidates should run based on their platform. But naturally they're going to group together well hey, it's politics it it's used like to be that you way you and i agree well, so we'll back each other well up let's and go we can let's go back to history the reason you you banned it with one party or another which is very true today in guam is is uh financing i don't have the economic means to finance a campaign i don't have the means to hold a rally i don't have the means to do this or that no. paper advertising paper pamphlets whatever you know um you know, a lot of people, uh, the Republicans, uh, nationally, they love Donald Trump because they're like, oh, and and Trump, by his own admission, keeps saying, oh, you know, not since Lincoln, since has there been a president like me. And no, he said, I want to kind of remind. I have done more for the African-American community than any president, save for maybe Lincoln. Yeah, leaving so, out LBJ. So. Thanks. So he'll say stuff, but LBJ Price. he did lots, but man, he was a known racist. So yeah, you know, it's it's it policy but, to me. But if you're talking about who did the most, well, here's the thing. Really measuring. Here, here's what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at is, like Lincoln, 
if you want to really look at Lincoln and see who he was most like, he'd as, he's actually most like Biden and his campaign this year, where he was in the basement. He, you know, they call him the basement ca- uh, candidate. He didn't really go out and say stuff. He just let Donald Trump one by one put his foot in his mouth. And if you look at Lincoln's campaign, his original first campaign, because he had lost a couple of times to get the uh, presidency, oh, yeah. and he's he told he specifically told his campaign, "Do not campaign actively." And they said, well, why? And he goes, the less we have to say that is disagreeable to people, the more likely people are going to vote for us. Oh, man, <laughs> we should talk about that and in the context of local politics. You understand, right? So yeah. well, You should talk about let's, this let's, point let's in the realm segue, of— Let's yeah. segue to Mike and Nicholas, because I think that's who you're talking about. No, no, no. I'm talking about politicians in general. I'm oh, well, well— The well, most popular vote getters. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't say much. No, no, no. It's—so— what I've come to realize about local politicians or local politics is that if you rock the boat too much, right. if you're out there too much, no, you don't become, well, I shouldn't say that actually, because some people rock the boat against their own parties, right? Uh, but I think the less controversial you are, the more likable you are. And that some people who might listen to this be like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. But in, in the realm of local politics, the top vote getters, the most popular candidates, I don't think I don't think that's necessarily who is the most productive or who is more in line with with you know your personal political beliefs on it's just that you become more likable. Um, something that I came face to face with in this past campaign. Uh, I think that being, uh, what is it? <sighs> if you want to talk about Mike. Yeah, let's go there. Cause he hung up on you. Yeah, whatever. No, I don't know if he hung up on you. He did, hung up on Did he? Okay, yeah. Well, just he, walk me through that. Walk he, me through that interview. Um, there was a caller on the show. Right. And he was talking about Mike's voting record, which is like 52% of roll call votes, mm-hmm. which is like in the 90-something percentile, right? you know, and and I forget what the average is for most candidates, and he was talking about that, and then the congressman called up, and he, from my perspective, he went on a rant, because I couldn't get it, I can, couldn't get a word in. Okay. And honestly, it sounded like a recording, because he just... <laughs> He just bowled <laughs> over me, right? right. Just and there play. was just there was just no like congressman. If I could, can I? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then after he said his piece, I was like, Congressman, if I could, you know, it's the first time we've got the chance to talk. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Click, right. and I was like, Did he just hang up on me? Wouldn't that be badass if he just recorded everything? He just played it and then. That would have been brilliant. <laughs> that would be. That would be. But do you think that was that a would live be call? a crazy political play uh, from a strategy standpoint? Right. Like it would just be, like it's somebody to have that wherewithal to be like, let's record this, let's bowl over this guy because he's a critic. Right. And then use that as a political play. Right. I think that would be brilliant. Right. Um, but you think that was a live call? Yeah, I think okay. it was a live right. call. Right. I've, I've questioned it, but because I, I didn't watch that call. live, I watched the uh, I watched your uh, post uh, the recording of it. Yeah, right. I 
caught a little bit yeah, of that. Yeah, clipped it. Yeah. Put it out to the world. Yeah. You know, Mike. Congressman. Mike, Michael Sinicholas. Yeah. Congressman Michael Sinicholas. I don't understand why he needed to misrepresent his record. And if he, I wouldn't have been so critical of him right. if he had just owned what he had accomplished. So, okay, back up, back up for the people that don't understand. Because there's people in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. other places, Guamanians who are listening to this show, they don't get what you're saying. So give some context. Okay, so the congressman during the course of the campaign uh, claimed credit for the $1.6 billion in CARES Act funding to Guam. He claimed credit for managing the flow of military spending to Guam, some $900 million. That money was already earmarked for Guam for the buildup. The $1.6 billion was an act of Congress. Right, which is he's part of. Yeah, so yeah, sure, you can take credit for it, but were you in the room? Were you actively campaigning? Be like, Guam needs this, Guam needs that. Come on, man. But why would you be so offended? And I'm just playing devil's advocate. Why would you be so offended? Because if, let's say, Underwood was there or Madeline was there, they would have said the same thing. I would have called them on the same thing. I'd okay. have been like, So it really? wasn't personal to him. It was just a, no, it was just a it bullshit was, call. Yeah, it was just kind of like, come on, man. You did, you've right. done other things that you can, right. you can own. You right. can own these victories. You passed the technical correction. Right. But I was very critical of that even. But the reason I was critical of that was because he claimed it as, I got this through. I got it paid. Not recognizing the work of his predecessors. Not recognizing the work of Madeline Zebert Dalio, who, who got it through Congress, okay. through the NDA. Not recognizing, you know, Cecilia Bamba. Not recognizing Robert Underwood. You know, it's just kind of like you stand on the shoulders of the people that came before you. And I was like, it was... For me personally, it was, it was, I, want, I don't want to say antithetical. It was unbecoming of a representative of Guam and the values that we espouse. Okay. I, let's say I agree with you. Let's say I disagree with you. But let's walk it back a little bit. If Underwood wasn't running against him, you think he would have given him credit? No. You don't think so? No, because he didn't before. Well, when you ran the first time, when he first ran for Congress, he had an ad, remember? And he had all the photos of previous Congress people, Republican and Democrat, which pissed off the Democrats, um, giving like, I'm part of this heritage. I'm part of the club. I'm part of this group that is going to represent Guam, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or independent, right? Mm-hmm. Now you've got one of those guys, you know, Robert Underwood, who I love. He's a Dodgers fan, by the way, for the record. And if you're a Dodgers fan, I love you. Yeah. Like that. I, yeah, it's so simple. Just, yeah. just, I, I, in fact, I don't know why politicians just don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're a Dodgers fan, vote for me. And i like, okay, I'm voting for this guy. Well, Fuck I'm it. actually a Pods fan, so... Uh... Yeah, if he wasn't running against Robert Underwood, let's say if he was running against Will Castro only, and the primary didn't happen, I mean, the primary happened, he blah, 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 and he's going to be against, you know, Will Castro, another good buddy of mine. I'd have a drink with him. I'd drink it, I, I would have a drink with all of them, right? Not a problem. 
do I want them representing me? Another issue. Okay, I digress. But he's running against Underwood. There's, whether you know it or not, there is political shenanigans in the background. There are, you know, war and politics, right? They're the same. Allies and so forth. Now, when the primaries happened, and there was the three candidate primaries, mm-hmm. right? And they canceled it, and they canceled it, and then they they did the general, and then and it was a unique situation where mm-hmm. you had two Democrats and a Republican yep. running for the position, and 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 Saint Nicholas, Congressman Saint Nicholas, won by a large margin. I said, "Why do the runoff?" Right. I'm, in fact, it was very rare that I post anything political. By law, I know, I know, by law. But but he could concede. He could say, "No." Well, he could just quit. He yeah. could have. Yeah, he could. No. He could no, have quit. Have. He could quit, Logan. He no. could quit. He can always quit. Yeah. No. But okay, I'm not. I'm not talking about what Robert Underwood should have or shouldn't have done. No, no, I'm saying that the the law states that uh, the candidate must win by fifty plus one in a runoff. No, I understand the law, but I'm saying that if the candidate resigns. The campaign, then it would go to Will Castro. He would be the next person. They would have to have a runoff. Correct. But even so, even so, it to me, Will Will wasn't going to get the number of votes to beat. Anything can happen in politics. The day before the election, no. something could have happened or come out, and maybe you know, on my show, Michael Nicholas, instead of hanging <laughs> up on me. Said something okay. completely incendiary, okay. and then the you know. dream, the dreamer in me would have agreed, but the reality is, this guy was going to win, and it's it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really okay. matter in the context of our conversation. Okay, I see where you're going. Okay, he was going to win this, but he was the favored candidate. He's the incumbent, yeah, and he had a very strong base that was going to show up. Well, and he beating and, him would have been a major challenge. He did what he was. was. He did what he was supposed to do. An incumbent is supposed to win re-election, but his problem, I always have felt, is that people don't like him. The party doesn't like him. This is why I go back to what I was saying earlier. We should just destroy the party system. I know that's not reality. It's it's almost as pie in the sky as what Trump is trying to do with the uh, with the uh, electoral. But my point is. Sometimes, despite whatever the rhetoric is and the political campaigns and ads, people are going to vote for somebody who they see as being bullied or being uh, picked on, whatever the term is. Now, personally, I don't, I don't see a political candidate if they're claiming that they're being bullied. I, I just, I can't see that because you're. You're going into combat. It's like Frank Camacho complaining that his opponent is going to punch him in the face, right? Right. It's like, I don't want to fight him. He was saying mean things at the press conference. Yeah, he's talking trash to me, right? So I don't buy that. But the voters in general, mm-hmm. who don't have this seven, you know, twenty-four-seven attention span, mm-hmm. that commentary commentators like yourself or the yeah, news outlets. Yeah, are super engrossed, yeah. They're going to look at it and go, oh, they're going to get turned off. Yeah. They're just yeah. going to get turned And I think this was a more of a turn-off vote. 
than a support boat. Well, I think that's a strategy. Well, no, that's right. So you, what you're talking about, right, um, if, if somebody else were the incumbent, mm-hmm. right, yeah. and they used that same strategy but it didn't fit, it wouldn't have worked, but it worked for him. Because I'm sorry, you know, Robert Underwood calling you out about your record is not bullying. That's just, these are just facts. Like calling you out for showing up half the time is not negative campaigning. Calling you out for being on the uh, financial services committee and not on the armed services committee is not negative campaigning. It's, It's just... The facts. It's like we could have this. You could be doing this. You did this. Right. You know what I mean? So, it's not saying that, you know, Michael St. Nicholas has all these allegations levied against him in the OCE. Right. They include blah, 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 and da, 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 Or, you know, like, I used to work for Michael St. Nicholas. He was very mean to me. It's not, it's not like that kind of campaigning, right? right. It's just... Here's your record. I want people to know that this is your record. That's not, I guess it can be seen as negative campaigning because it doesn't reflect well on the candidate. Okay, so I'm gonna gonna share. It's not bullying. I'm gonna share in this podcast uh, because the podcast itself hasn't uh, debuted yet. So I actually had a podcast with um, Congressman San Nicholas. Mm -hmm. I recorded him uh, two months ago, uh, a month ago. Wow, you got an interview with that guy? Yeah, a full interview. We spoke. I got about two minutes. Yeah, we had a two-hour. <laughs> it wasn't much of an interview. It was more like a yeah. filibuster. Yeah, he was in he was in Washington, and uh, we had a two-hour interview uh, for this podcast. And uh, I shouldn't have said that guy, the congressman. You know, that's something. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. As much as I disagree with how he ran his campaign, yeah. I have the utmost respect for the office right. that he is in, and. If I were to meet him face to face, I would give him that be respect respectful. and deference. Yeah, sure, you'd be respectful. But I, as, I don't as, think you would like even if you, with Donald Trump, you wouldn't go, "Hey, fuckhead." Oh, yeah, if I no. were invited to the White House to meet the President yeah. of the United States, yeah. as much as I disagree with, yeah, you wouldn't be a dog. You wouldn't be a dog to him. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't go. Burr, burr, burr. You know, you'd be like, "Hey, how are you, sir?" You know, you 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 pay. I might take the opportunity to. You might say put in a word. You might not a critical word, but just kind of like, "Hey, well, Prez, you might want to. Can you do a Guam apprentice?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> no. So, but yeah. So I had a I had a two hour interview with uh, Congressman Mike and Nicholas, and I I've known him prior to that when he was a senator and and so forth and so on. And he so uh, I wouldn't call us friends, but I would certainly uh, say that I know him well enough to have that kind of trust for him to have an interview with me for two hours. Um, certainly wouldn't be close friends, you know, but f- friends as you would have friends mm-hmm. that would say, hey, Logan, what's going on? And You can be candid. You can yeah, right. Absolutely. You care about what's going on in each other's lives. And so my conversation with him and the uh, the angle that I the interview was positioned was, hey, you're a freshman, you know, congressman. Let's talk about that. Like what is it like to never have stepped in the halls of Congress? You're young, uh, ambitious, impressionable. Walk me through that. Let's go through that. So if Logan or I or, you know, 
my 10-year-old son Atticus one day becomes congressman, they can listen to this and go, oh, that's what it's like. How's the cafeteria like? You know, what's it called? What, what is AOC like, yeah, really? Yeah, how do you get into this? What's, uh, you know, what are these things like? And, I, and, I, and in between that, we did discuss his voting strategy or record, as mm-hmm. you would say. Yeah. And I asked him point blank. I go, you know, I got a lot of critics out there saying that you don't show up to a lot of votes, that uh, you chose the wrong committees to join, and so forth and so on. And, uh, and he was pretty candid about that. He goes, look, you know, I don't take the time to explain. Maybe that's my fault. And again, I'm not defending him. I'm just yeah. telling you what, what we had a conversation on. Um, and he said something that I hadn't heard anybody bring up as reason. I said, look, you're going to sleep in your couch and miss the votes? Okay, you know, whatever. We've all sort of skipped class from time to time. We understand that. But what's the reason? I mean, there must be more reason than you were sleepy, mm-hmm. right? And for him, he... he Again, whether it's true or not, that's only the man knows if he's lying to me or not. I don't know. I I don't pretend to know if somebody's lying to me or being disingenuous. He can only say what he's saying to me. But he told me straight out, he goes, look, I studied how previous people did their jobs. Mm -hmm. And they try to be where they're supposed to typically go. We're military base, so we joined this stuff, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm He felt that strategically it would be better to be in other committees. Yeah. Okay. It could have worked. It could have not worked. But at the end of the day, that's that's his game plan, right? Okay. I can't disagree with that. I, I, I can disagree with that. But I can't fault him for having a strategy and moving forward with it. It's a, I convenient, asked it's a convenient strategy, though. Maybe. When you look at it from an outside lens. Maybe. Or a critical lens. Maybe. So I said, well, what's like... Did you have to, you know, how'd you get chummy with Maxine Waters, right? Mm, yeah. Right, because he, she made him the VP. The, yeah, the I, my favorite clip of Maxine Waters is chairman. when she was uh, speaking to our governor. Mm. And she said, uh, Governor, uh, I just want you to know that, looks at her notes, <laughs> that all your successes, looks at her notes, are because of your congressman, looks at her notes, looks at her notes, uh, Michael Sinicholas. That was my favorite clip yeah. of the campaign season. But you know that's what they do. They they all pay favors, politics. But he was he he did say he, he and he admitted he goes, I missed a lot of votes because I was a freshman congressman. I did I, we made mistakes. We weren't at certain meetings. See if he had said that, we if he yeah. had had that kind of candor. Yeah, and so he did say he goes we went to certain votes that we thought were important that that dragged on. And he goes, you have to understand something. Most of these states have multiple representatives. We have one. And we have to choose, you know, we have to pick our poison. Like, mm-hmm. we have to look at it and say, where should we be? See, it's... And, and we made some mistakes. It's difficult for me to take that at face value. And albeit mm-hmm. because I don't understand the inner workings of Congress. Right. But if I'm looking at it from the outside right. and your job is to show up right. and you're not showing up, I'm going to be like... Well, what are you doing? No, I get that, and I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that's what the man told me. So, yeah. so see, but I appreciate that, and I'm angry. Yeah. I'm I'm not angry. I'm a little upset that I didn't know this because I would have given him right. that leeway. I mean, like, okay, just just t- 
talk to me, man. Right, right. right. Just tell me what's really going on instead of posturing. Right, and I think that's that's sort of the limitations of a radio show versus like something I do. Yeah, and well, also yeah. I, I chose the side <laughs> of the critic. <laughs> well, you know, hey, I told him straight out, hey, I'm a Dodgers fan, you know, so watch out. But, uh, but um, long story short, I think one of the things that uh, that was revealed was it re- i mean we look at it as a co- congressman position and yes we've had lots of great names behind it mm-hmm. ben blas underwood one pat Bodalio, right countless now we have st nicholas but it's still a human job you know you're away from family you're away from your kids maybe there, there there's issues there maybe there isn't um, you're in a new place. It felt, I mean, we were discussing things as if it was like when we first entered the, you know, university campus for the first time. You know, you're just a little island boy from an island and you're just in this fucking historic place, right? And mm-hmm. I would, and uh, it was, it was, I wish we could have got the podcast out. That story was told, but we had a lot of technical issues with the recording. Because, you know, obviously we were doing streaming. And so, long story short, we had a great interview, but a lot of it was unusable because there was so much static from the... the feet. Yeah, it was just, I couldn't, I mean, I, I heard it because I'm hearing it clean. Yeah. But it's recording dirty. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, man. So I told him, I said, man, I... Can we can we do again like a couple of the section? Then I have enough to put out, and he just did not have enough time because it was at the height of shit that was going on. So I was like, okay, so later on we'll do it. It was very enlightening to see his version of what was happening versus what was happening and talked about on the outside. Mm. Now again, doesn't mean doesn't mean uh, the criticism isn't valid. Doesn't mean uh, the criticism isn't real. It just means it would have been a nice juxtaposition of information. And I really regret the technical issues that we experienced because I had almost two and a half hours with the man. And um, at the end of the day, though, I have to believe, regardless of his faults, he, and, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's quite obvious he's ambitious. Um, and he probably will run for governor at some point. Um, he's, you know, he's out there to try to make a name for himself, and that's what it is. But, but, but that's what every politician does. I mean, I spoke to Underwood for a good long time at a Rotary thing, and he's he, he the one thing that was bothering him was the age thing, how people were bringing up his age. Yeah. And I brought yes, it up. I brought it up to him a little bit. I said. I said, I, I, you know, look, the president of the United States is 72 years old. The one that's trying to get elected is 76 uh, or whatever. I said, I get it, you know. 78, I think. Yeah, 78. Yeah. Oldest president-elect, uh, uh, presumptive-elect. Right? Uh, the president-elect. Well, it's He's the president-elect. He hasn't been certified. So legally, he's still presumptive. That's the no, way No, he's I, been... No, he hasn't been certified. Every state, and then... December 14th. Be, yeah. Yeah, so the yeah. electorals haven't voted. So I, I don't disagree with the vote. What I'm saying is the correct term is presumptive <laughs> president-elect. <laughs> so with a congressman, mm-hmm. um, for me personally, 
right viewed as him being disingenuous and him misrepresenting the accomplishments right. of his office and being so secretive mm-hmm. about what was happening like saying we do things behind closed doors i'm sorry you work for the taxpayer mm-hmm. you work mm-hmm. for all these people there's no back room correct i i i can uh, excuse me for saying that and being naive about it right but Everything, as much as possible, should be transparent. And to say, like, well, we're trying a different thing and we're we're going about it a different way. I'm sorry. I'm not going to just take that at face value. You're going to have to explain to me and show me that in doing so, it led to this. In doing so, it led to that. And and I'll, I'll be honest. His approach to social media and how he acts what i call acting out right uh when he threatened to quit on the people of guam unless we elect competent leaders right when he posted about about self-determination and said and and likened it to adulting basically calling the people of guam a bunch of kids that's how i took it It there's a facebook post where he's like adulting adulting is this 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 and this and this same goes for self-determination I was like, really, man? Like, could you be any more condescending? Mm -hmm. And what I really just wanted was a statesman, somebody that respected the people, somebody that during the pandemic wasn't trying to sow seeds of dissent. In the early part of the pandemic, that's what I saw him doing. The legislature should be doing this. The governor should be doing this. And I'm sitting there being like, Congressman, yeah. what should you be doing? Right. Why are you in the midst of a crisis sowing the seeds of dissent? And this is just my personal approach to crisis mm-hmm. where unity and cohesion is paramount. After 9-11, I could not... Prior to 9-11, I did not care for George W. Bush. When 9-11 happened, it was like, he's our leader. He's the guy we got. Let's get behind this guy and do this, right? And the same thing goes for anybody that's in office, right? You, the will of the people, the, the, the person that the people chose, you can get behind. That doesn't mean you can't be critical. But questioning, mm. proffering, you know, false solutions that are that are unattainable, you know, like we should take that 11 million and finance it. What are you talking about? Why are you planting this into people's heads? Well, I, I tried to do this when when I was in the legislature and blah, blah, blah. blah. What are you doing? Right. I it's mean, like, yeah. So you I mean, if you were to look back at this election cycle, the legislative in congressional election as a commentator, a public commentator, and that's what you are now. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what kind of grade do you give yourself, you think? Were you, were you leaning too far to one side or the I other? Wasn't, or? I wasn't objective. I was not objective. I give myself an F. You think you could have been more objective? I could have been more objective, but, but... But did you want to be? No, not okay. at all. So why give yourself an F? 
Um, just for the conversation, mm. right? In presenting the two sides. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what the show is. Like, I, I guess I'm grading it based on, I don't know, like, would you remaining do it, objective. Would you do it differently? If no, you, God, no. Okay, so don't give yourself an F. All right. Give yourself a B plus. Give myself an A. <laughs> no, don't get, never give yourself an A. A that plus. Means, that means you, you, don't, you don't have room for improvement. But uh, That's what one of my former bosses told me yeah. when I gave myself. An A? I gave myself tens across the board. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe that's the hubris. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, I'm, it, you know, okay. Um, and maybe that's the employer in me that says that. I could never give you a There's always room yeah. for improvement. Yeah. But if you're asking me if I did the best to my ability. Yeah. I'm but, gonna, yeah, I'm gonna own it. But, yeah, yeah but, I but, did the best that I but could. But you just you just told me you gave yourself an F. So explain that. Why do you think you gave yourself an F initially? I think I was too affected by by his Facebook posts and oh. his his de- divisiveness and his antagon- antagonistic approach right. to local government. So you thought you got a little too emotional. I took umbrage with how. Right. He sowed what I perceived as sowing the seeds of dissent in the midst of a crisis, and I did not appreciate that. So you you think you you are, and I let that influence. Right. But what kind of commentator do you want to be? You want to be an activist commentator, or you want to be a neutral commentator? No, I. I that's boring. Wait, what's boring? Which one? Being neutral. So you want to be an activist? I'm not a journalist. No. Yeah. I, I pay attention to the facts, and the yeah. facts are very very important to me. Right. But I'm far from objective. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, we were talking about this before the see, okay. The show. So this this leads us to a very interesting point about being a a talk show host. Right. Some people call it living and dying by the sword. You can. It's like once you put it out there. Yeah. You got to own it. Right. And I'm not. I don't regret. Right. Any criticism that I had. I do regret not leaving that space for communication. Okay. Leaving the space where he would feel comfortable enough for me to interview him, right. to speak openly, and then challenge and give him the opportunity yeah. to explain. And then, you know, calling him on it, but respectfully. Right. Respectfully. And a lot of people think that because I was critical, right. that if he had called into the show that I would have just been disrespectful no no would not have been disrespectful so if you were to if we were to like go back a couple months prior to the actual election how would you do it differently with with mike i would have reached out yeah like offline said hey i want you on my show because he and i had a relationship prior to him even becoming a senator Okay, so yeah. you could have done that. You could have done that on a personal level and said... I think I could have at least made the attempt. Yeah. yeah. I think, personally, I was too affected. Mm. You took I, a side. I was too... No, I didn't take a side. I was too affected by what he said that I failed to be objective or even realize that I have a platform where I could provide value in in uh, where I could bring him on and actually have an honest conversation and then use that and just be like, come on, congressman. Like, is that really 
Like, what did you really accomplish in missing that many votes? Right. Like, wh what was really accomplished? Do you, do you think that you could have made the votes? Right. Um, if you look at Lorraine Luria from Virginia, who had the most bills passed mm -hmm. in the House of Representatives, I think she had six, is it four or six? Miss 1.1% of the vote. And I, albeit, she's a voting member. He's a non-voting member. Right. So the, the standards aren't the same. But we could have talked about that. Right. But I shut, I shut that off right. in being too critical, in right. being, you know what I mean? No, I get it. And I think I did a disservice to not just, you know, the, the show and to the people at Guam, but also, I guess, to myself. It, because there are questions that I, that I still have unanswered mm. that I just want to know the answers to. Yeah, no, I think that's the uh, number one rule of an interviewer. They have to remain curious. They have to remain curious. Curious and respectful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course, of course. Respect, I mean, like you said, uh, of Trevor Noah, you have to, if you're going to invite somebody on your show, you have to you have to be a gracious host too, mm -hmm. right? And although you're not recently married, you're still kind of a newlywed. Yeah. You know, you know eh? Well, we s celebrated our anniversary in yeah. September. Was that your first anniversary? Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. I was. I made sure I liked it with the heart. <laughs> <laughs> care. I care. <laughs> right. So, you've had girlfriends. You've had relationships. And the way I look at things is, well, at least, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I pretend to know. I, I think I know. You, When you go, you go pretty deep. Like, you really care about the girl. All the with, way. Right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we've all had moments in time where, you know, we have played the field as young men. But this is a commitment. Mm -hmm. You said I do. She said I do. So what's next? What's 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 the beauty of marriage? What's uh, what are some of the challenges? Uh, being a young couple, um, she's obviously she's got her own career. You've got yours. You've done something that uh, most people, whether you're male or female, it's something to get used to. Mm -hmm. Sharing a household. Mm -hmm. You had a child, dog, <laughs> right? Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Um, walk us through that and uh, what's some of the insight of uh, you know getting married at your age um, and uh, I, mean, I mean you were in a young buck you were in your mm. 30s when you got married so yeah. I think that's a good year that's a good age I got married a little too young how uncharacteristic of me as a Chamorro male to get married at 38 without a child mm. who knows but my hairdresser <laughs> the first person I got my hair cut by yeah. when I was 22 she was asking me, I was sitting in her chair. Right. She's like, Chamor? Yeah. Kids? No. Married? No. Wow. <laughs> Rare. Like Rare. what? Yeah. <laughs> Are you uh, sure you're Chamorro? <laughs> <laughs> I know the accent doesn't do it justice. But yeah, uh, walk us through marriage, man. What's what's it, what's it been like the first uh what was the first hundred days like, as 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 the they say in politics? What was the first hundred days like? <laughs> the progress report. Yeah. Um, was the state of the union sound? <laughs> the state of the marriage address. Yeah. Uh, you know, through the pandemic, and this is not just pandering or anything. Yeah. I feel very lucky. 
because I genuinely enjoy spending time with her. Right. My wife, Tina. And um, I, I, I just, like, she and I have talked about this. Like, can you imagine being on lockdown with somebody that you don't get along with? And here's the thing, what I've realized through this. Mm-hmm. I genuinely like spending time mm-hmm. with my family, being with my family. And that is something that I never thought really connected with mm. you know growing up right because i was always just kind of out doing my own thing and just kind of like being spontaneous a very spontaneous person just right. you know and then getting married and realizing that this this is what's important right. so i i hold like my values have shifted not just through marriage and through the pandemic, but in realizing what's really, really important. Like in in entertaining any new business opportunities, I think, how is this gonna affect that? Right. How is it gonna affect my time with my wife? Because that's the most important thing to me. Um, and it took time. It took time to get to that maturity level. I was very immature for a very long time. During the marriage or before that? No, no, no prior to. Okay. Prior to. Right. When I met Tina, I knew. You already knew. <laughs> you had your shit together. Uh, Tina and I, um, we started dating in September. My best friend's wedding was in January. Okay. I asked her to go with me to the wedding, I think, in November. All right. Because I already knew that this was special. Okay. It was just like you go through a lot of learning in the relationships that you go through, right? And then sometimes you think that, you know, you found what you want and this is going to be blah, 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 blah. But you're still figuring it out, figuring it out, figuring it out. And then I met her. Right. How did you meet her? We'd always known each other. Okay. So it wasn't like, oh, this is Tina, this on and But you already knew her. We always knew each other kind of as acquaintances through through uh, business events. Okay. It's like mixers and galas. And I always I always saw her at things and we were always very mm-hmm. congenial. And it's, it's were funny. You, were you like, man, she's pretty hot? Or <laughs> was it like something that grew on you? She was always very, very attractive, but she was always in a relationship. I was always in a relationship. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, nothing, nothing to this. Don't lead it to anything else, everybody. Tina is an attractive lady. Oh, man. Yeah. But my my point is this. I'm dancing right now. Yeah. My point is this. <laughs> the listeners can't, yeah, she's can't pretty, see this, she's, but I'm dancing. But, like, sometimes you meet attractive people, but you're like, nah, not her. Right? I mean, you, you do that. I mean, I've done that. Well, you don't. Well, that's the people that you don't vibe with. Right. But it's like, congratulations. You have good genetics. Congratulations right. on having good bone structure. And then you meet somebody that you vibe with and you yeah. connect with on a different level. Right. So was it was it like that? Was the bonus was she was pretty, but... You you connected with her? I'm gonna explain it, and maybe this might, you know. Yeah. Uh, Listen up, Chamorro men. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it was a resonance. Okay. Okay. If we're talking in terms, I'm gonna sound like a a hippie right now. If we're talking about vibrations, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's operating at different wavelengths, right? Some are fast, some are slow. Right. Meeting her and hugging her mm-hmm. was like harmony 
it yeah. was resonating at the same frequency. Okay. It was home. Right. You know? And, you know, early, I couldn't put my finger on it, right? I couldn't explain right. it. Right. But I recognized the feeling and how it was exceptional. And it was something that I hadn't experienced. Because mm. you go through love in different forms, through different relationships, right? Sure. And then you meet the one. The one. The, the, <laughs> and then you can, there can only be one. The resonance. Right. And I'm, I'm doing this thing with my hands right now, and people can't see it, but it's like my hands are like waving in the same wavelength, right? And that's what it was like. Yeah. It was like I couldn't put my finger on it, but it, it was just like that was home. Yeah. That was... I'm getting emotional I thinking know, about it. I know. It's a very rare side I see of you. I'm a little uncomfortable <laughs> talking about because it it's such an intimate thing. Yeah. You know? And it's... We resonate. Yeah. You know? And... So does... I mean, that's... Is, has it gotten stronger? Is it the same? What? Hell yes. Yeah. Through crisis? Yeah. Getting stronger? Like, crisis can make or break you. Right. We've just gotten stronger. Mm, that's good to hear. Yeah. Right. It, you know, it's... I feel very fortunate that through the pandemic, mm. I have her. Right. Because there were very rough days for me personally. Sure. Especially the first lockdown. Okay. All the uncertainty, you know, and just... Yeah, it's just... She's the one. Yeah, it's just having her. Right. You know, like with with relationships, some people view it as a possession, you know? Like some people are like, mm -hmm. that's my girl. But I, I don't get that vibe from this. This is like, we have a life. Oh, yeah. There's you no I mean? there's no possession. There's no objectification of this relationship right. or the person. Right. It's, we're complimenting or complimenting each other yeah. we we advocate for each other we're critical of each other yeah our, our our goals i think are in in growing together yeah so i i have a long drawn out theory about love and like and that love is obviously what bonds people but if like is to me and maybe people might disagree but like is a lot more powerful than love in in this way you can you can fall in love with somebody and i don't mean like in a romantic way like you can love a friend a male friend a female friend uh you can love a person you've never met you just feel like oh i love that that guy i love that girl but liking somebody and continuing to like somebody that's almost more important sometimes in love in that if you don't like the person you're in love with yeah. it's not going to last that's an interesting <laughs> perspective because yeah. I, that totally resonates with yeah. the relationship that i have with my wife yeah I genuinely like her. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe some cynical people are just like, give it 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till she's 80. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I genuinely yeah. like her. I like her personality, her sense of humor. Yeah. Um, you know, I really, really love her. I love about her is how considerate she is. Mm. 
not just, you know, like there's a saying, right? How you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. So even in the little things, right. in the little things, she's very considerate. She. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reveal what it is because that's mine. Sure. Right. Yeah. But I'm just gonna leave it at that. She's very, very considerate mm-hmm. in, you know, something that you wouldn't expect somebody to be considerate about. Something that you would expect somebody to take for granted. Right. And and do you do you feel like you you give that back to her? Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yes. And if I'm not, yeah. then I'm then I'm messing up. Right. See, this is why I believe that every couple should have like, you know, state of the union, 100 day address as as long as like you got to like every 100 years, I mean, 100 days you got to go. This is what I appreciate. This is what I don't. And as long as like both couples like keep doing that, they're going to be okay, you know. But it's when you get, you know, like you get so hurt by the criticism. You're like, oh, fuck. You know. I've 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 looked at that right yeah. in in the things that hurt you yeah especially in a relationship mm-hmm. what are the things that hurt you I think that a lot of that lies in the insecurity or in like well it can be based in insecurity or trauma or whatever but it's like the, the it's not the person doing the thing right. it's the reaction to the thing mm-hmm. that they did right so really it's internal and and a lot of that I think is Okay, how, why am I affected by this? Why would I vilify my partner for doing something right. if it wasn't malicious? Like if it's malicious, that's one thing, right? right. If somebody's actively trying to hurt you, that's one thing. And if, if they're not malicious, right. then that's a very internal thing that you have to look inward and be like, why am I so affected and why am I gonna you know, react this way or react that one way or another, right? Right. Yeah, uh, that's just my personal approach. And you know, I'm not, not perfect in that it's not like i'm not i'm not affected by things where um how do i put this i'm not always so cognizant of the things that affect me and why i'm affected by them Mm. but man man, this is hard to explain (laughs) (laughs) i i trust that She's never trying to hurt me. Mm. And even when I take offense to something, right. I need to remind myself that she's not trying to hurt me. Yeah. Whether it be like, ex, you know, expressing a feeling that I may not agree with or, you know. I'm, I'm very, um, I don't want to say I'm proud because proud means that I expect it less. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I see what like, you're saying. Like, oh yeah. man, fuck! I thought he was gonna fuck up his <laughs> life. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm more happy for you. Like, I'm happy you found your peace. I'm fi- I'm happy you found her, and I'm happy you're very content with where you are. Doesn't mean you doesn't mean you have ambitions anymore. It means you doesn't mean you want more. It just means that you're oh, man. you're finding the stride. No, in meeting her, yeah, I want more and more and more mm-hmm. because it's more attainable. Mm. It's like meeting a partner that is a true partner. Right. That doesn't hold you back. Right. Opens mm-hmm. up the world. You can achieve. It sounds so cliche. And like as the words leave my mouth, it sounds cliche. It's, it's, uh, but really it's just like 
but it's cliche Every, for a reason. Everything's right? attainable yeah. when you have when you have that. Yeah, people people don't like the word cliche, but I love it because it's it's the truth. That's why it's a cliche. Logan, thanks for coming on the show. Cause thanks for having me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. I did. It was, you know, honestly, it was like getting a bunch of stuff off my chest and you know, there's a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. But okay, here's one one last point that I'm going to make. Yeah. And this is a kind of come to Jesus moment that I okay. learned about being in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in doing anything where you put your opinions or you put yourself out there. Yeah. What I've learned is that in order to get over the anxiety, mm-hmm. you have to really, really whittle down or come to understand what you value mm-hmm. and own it. Right. And be willing to take the hits for it. So if there's anything that I've said on the show or even in this show that comes back to me, right. willing to take the punches. I feel like I've been talking to a friend that I haven't spoken to in a long time. Yeah. It's been a while. And uh, how'd you enjoy the cigar? That was a good cigar. It's a fantastic cigar. Yeah. Romeo y Julieta. And Iwai. Iwai from uh, Cisco. Cisco, thank you, sister. Yeah, Cisco's amazing. We appreciate this uh, gift, and we uh, we appreciate it so much we drank a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, my friend, brother, I appreciate this time. Um, Appreciate you sharing your energy with it, and I hope you enjoyed. I did. Thank you for having me on. All right, so we'll get you again another time, and uh, good luck with the show. Thank you, sir. But more importantly, good luck with the marriage. Not that luck is needed. (laughs) No luck needed. But, you know, luck favors the prepared. Yes. 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 All right, so with that, we'll end, and thanks for for spending time with us, and uh, best of luck with you. I hope that your first child is named after me, and if not, maybe the second one. Cousinari. Cousinari. All right. All right, brother. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you. Wait. Esta. Esta shishu. Esta shishu.